next week we got to chapter 9 in the book of Acts and we had an introduction to the Apostle Paul and his miraculous conversion. And chapter 9 of the book of Acts, though it documents Paul's conversion, it really doesn't give you any great insights of what that conversion did. So I spoke last week that I want us to take out, I'll cherry pick some New Testament uh, teachings, Paul's own autobiography of himself, of what salvation meant to him, what it meant to him on the road to Damascus, what the blood of Jesus meant to him, uh, salvation free, uh, full and free through Christ, what it meant to him. So I, I'm doing this text today, yet my voice is a little beat up. I preached three times on Friday out in Dallas, and I'm feeling it right now, so... But I am here ready, God's ready, prayerfully you're ready, and uh, did I say chapter 2? Yes. That's because I was right. We're going to start in the 11th verse though. But when Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says this, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from the Apostle James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even my best friend Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul goes on to say, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners who never knew God. I'm paraphrasing to help you along. Yet we know that a person, whether Jew or Gentile, is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ, even though we're Jews, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the laws of Moses. Because by the works of the law, no one could be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life now I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, as always, God, we're so grateful for constantly teaching us, encouraging us, and reaffirming that salvation is full and free. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves better in your sight. Nothing, God. You have zero tolerance towards any and all sinful behavior. Our actions, our thoughts, our words, our attitudes,
attitudes, our intentions, our pride. You are opposed to human nature. But we know you love human beings created in your image. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart that as a church, we know we can do nothing to earn our salvation but simply come to you in the precious name of Jesus. And then ask you, God, humbly, as broken women and broken men, broken husbands and broken wives, broken sons and broken daughters, change us from the inside out, God. Change us, Father. By the power of the Holy Spirit, change us. In Jesus' name. I do want to spend more time on verse 20 where Paul cries out, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And do we have the sermon title? Did we put that up there? Yeah, I just, I couldn't get the New Living Translation. You wanted this in the Okay. The title? Do you have the title back there? I like this title. That's why I want it up there. Dead men serve God. Alright? So everybody can go home now. Alright? Go serve God. But when we think about it, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life I live now, I live to the Son of God who died and rose again on my behalf. Listen. It has everything to do with being dead. And we're going to find out. And it will make sense as we get there later on. Paul, who was the staunch religious, no, no, he was the quintessential religious superstar. Don't forget that. You, know, you ever see a man and say, well, he's holy? Remember that we used to say things like that? Oh, such a holy man, such a prayerful man. Understand something. There was no one, when it came to the Jewish law, that you can say, that's a man that's holy. It was the Apostle Paul. He was perfect when it came to the law of Moses. In his own mind, he thought he was perfect. All the outward works of washing your hands perfectly, he did. Worshiping at the festivals, he did. Prayer three times a day, he did. Fasting throughout the week, he did. He was born a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, Circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. His mother came from a Hebrew line. His, he was a pure bred Jew. You can't get more Jewish than the Apostle Paul. But when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he took it all and counted as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. His reputation. He didn't care. He discarded his reputation. He wasn't Paul, Saul the Pharisee. He was called Paul the Apostle now. He had such a change in his nature uh, that it, he had to almost reinvent himself by God's grace. God's grace reinvented him. To the man that cries out, I've been crucified with Christ. There's, there's the poetry 
behind those words. I mean, anytime I, I read it, it goes through me. Anytime you, you speak it aloud in the congregation, like people get excited because that's what it's about. But what does it mean? We'll get to what it means when we get to verse 20. But you really don't understand verse 20 until you understand a couple of things that are happening in this book of Galatians. Paul, for the first two chapters, has been defending the message he preached. That salvation is full and free. There's nothing you can do. You want to go to heaven? We have one option to go to heaven. Ask Jesus Christ from the bottom of your heart for forgiveness. And then accept the gift of salvation. That's it. If you add to that, Paul says in chapter 1, let that man be accursed and separated from God. It's another gospel. There is no such thing as Jesus and anything. Jesus and I'm a good, Jesus and I did, no. There's Jesus and the story. And Paul's been defending this because there's certain people that say, well, you know, Paul's message is, is, is not a right message. It's not a pure message. He's a self, he's an apostle. He's not an apostle like James or Peter are. He's, he's a self-proclaimed apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't part of the 12. He, was, he wasn't original. It's, this is all self-promotional. And what they were doing, they were going to a church in Galatia, these certain men, they were called Judaizers, and they were trying to undermine Paul's message by undermining who Paul is. You know how it is, politicians do it all the time. If you want to attack the message, you really first you have to attack the messenger. Defamation. That's what they're doing to Paul. And Paul is using all his powers of logic and understanding and spiritual resources to show them that the law of Moses is over. It's gone. Judaism as we know it, is, it doesn't exist anymore. Jesus has come. He's the Messiah. There's no need for a temple because Jesus is the temple. There's no more need for the law because the Holy Spirit puts the law of love in you. There's no more need for festivals. They only point to Christ. There's no more need for a sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. There's no more need for a high priest. Jesus intercedes for us. And we can go on and on and on and on. There's no more need for circumcision. Because the Holy Spirit comes and we're born again. And now I have new affections for God. I'm separated to God. Not in the flesh. I'm separated to God. Because I have the guarantee and the pledge and the seal of who? The Holy Spirit. That's what sets me apart to God. And he defended himself in chapter 1 by talking about an historical circumstance uh, with James, this meeting he had with the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John. And he's defending himself. That even the Apostles accepted him as another Apostle. But now he goes on again. He, he brings up another meeting to show the authenticity how the authenticity, thank you it's been a long week of his call as an apostle and his message that Peter James, John the pillars of the church in Jerusalem they agreed that Paul, you're called to the Gentiles 
to preach salvation full and free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go in peace, brother. But something's happened. In this account that we see here with Peter and, uh, and Paul, in Paul's church in Galatia, these Judaizers, these men from James had come down and, and started preaching a different gospel. And guess what? The church started listening to it. And Paul sees this hypocrisy going on. Paul sees this defection taking place. This is where Paul steps in. And with this, with this great zeal, this great power of reason and logic, his, his reason and logic are, are razor sharp. In these verses, he goes to show the close relationship between high theology and how you live that out in everyday practical spiritual life. But before we go on, I want to, re- I want to react, reenact the scene. We have to get used to the plays, all right? So here, here are the plays in, in, in what we just read. There's Peter, the apostle who knows the truth, that you have to be saved in Christ. He teaches the truth. He preaches the truth. But in this occasion, he fails to live it out. Doesn't it stink when leaders fail? But leaders can fail. And too many times they often do. Peter failed. Big failure. In this context, he was a big, big but he, fa- he, fa- he, he fails in this occasion, and there's a showdown between the Gentile believers in a place called Antioch and the more conservative Jewish sect called the Pharisees that came to Jesus. And they said, we believe in Jesus, but we also believe in the law of Moses. It's sort of a paradox. You really can't. But... Acts chapter 15 says this is what's going on. It was these Jewish uh, religious people that said, we believe in Jesus too, but you still have to be circumcised. We believe in Jesus too, but to become a Christian, you got to become a Jew. To be a good Christian, you have to be a good Jew first. And they got their all mixed up. Then there were certain men that came down from James. These men came under the false pretense that we're sent from James, so we're high and mighty, and we have this authority to come to you Gentiles in the, in, the, in, the, in the region of Galatia and to tell you that Paul is wrong, his message is wrong, he's got a little bit of it right, he's not too off, you do need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. If you're circumcised, then your faith in Jesus is right. If you're not circumcised, guess what? Your faith in Jesus is not right and you're not saved. You're not right with God. So we have this tension going on. Then there are also the Gentile believers in this place called Antioch, where Paul first ministered. Before Paul first ministered before an apostle, he was a teacher and he was a prophet. And he was a preacher in a place called Antioch. And for the better part of 10, 11, or 12 years, a church began there and a church grew there. And mostly Gentiles with some Jews there. And it was a great, wonderful church. These people knew the gospel. They weren't Jewish on a whole. They were mostly Gentiles. And guess what? They sat under Paul's preaching for about 12 years. The church was sound. 
sound. This was a sound church. They knew the gospel. And they knew that Peter's behavior was appalling. Then there's Paul, staunch defender of the faith, apostle to the Gentiles. This church, he loved them as a father. He loved their culture. He loved their customs. He loved their manners. He loved their differences. The only thing that he could see in them was not that they were different than the Jews in Jerusalem. Is that but they loved God. They loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They loved the Son of God himself. They've embraced the sacrifice of Christ. They left their pagan ways. They left their sinful ways to come and live a holy life to Jehovah God through Jehovah's Son, Jesus. Paul loved them. Then last of all, there's this church in Galatia, in southern Turkey. They're genuine Christians, converted through Paul's preaching, but they've been bewitched. They've been deceived. Certain false preachers came down from Jerusalem preaching a different gospel. Like the ones in Paul was talking about in Antioch. They would come and say, yeah, Jesus is good, but you need to be circumcised. Jesus is good, but you still need this. Jesus is good, but you still need to eat this way. Jesus is good, but you need need to wash your hands. Jesus is good, stay away from these certain foods. And they would come with their rules and regulations and laws, and they tried to make them better Christians by becoming Jews. What's just as important as the employees, as I just mentioned, was what's at stake? You don't know in this story, these 10 verses of scripture, there's something at stake. This is the fight of the, it's the fight of history. And it's not between Paul and Peter. It's between Christ and Moses. It's between freedom and slavery. It's being, between being dead in sin or alive in Christ. It's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's between law and it's between grace. It's between the desires of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. It's about the kingdom going backwards into Judaism or going forward to the rest of the world. It's between being alive to God or dead in sin. That's the fight that's going on over here. And Paul's in explaining it for this reason. Because if this takes root... If this hybrid, if this mixture of salt water and fresh water takes root, if this Jesus end takes root, Paul goes on to say, then your faith is in vain. You've fallen from grace. Only salvation, only in Jesus, what he did at the cross saved someone. Even today, we can go to churches and it's, there's a worship to Jesus, but there's all this other stuff, all these other requirements. Membership in the church and, you know, a certain kind of baptizing. And then you got, you know, certain sacraments and, you know, the, the Greek Orthodox do it, the Roman Catholics do it. And so many people, even Protestants can be guilty of it. And, you know, it's like, yeah, Jesus is good, but, and you fill in the blanks. You got to be good enough. You got to do this. You Understand something. Paul would stand up and say, anathema. That's a different gospel. 
pull, pulls, no punches in defending the truth. Listen to me. He opposed Peter to his face. That has to tell us this is a serious issue. Peter is self-condemned. He knows himself to be a hypocrite. Shame is written all over his face. These Galatian Christians, when Peter came, they were they were elevated. His his the apostle Peter. He walked on water with Jesus. He touched the risen Christ. He's eating with us. Eating to you and me might not mean much, but understand something. 2,000 years ago, to eat with one another and fellowship meant I love you and I accept you. Not to eat with someone was to close your heart to them as though you don't exist. So when Peter comes down and he's eating with the Gentiles, believe it, they're happy. And this is going on for not, if not weeks, maybe months, and then all of a sudden these other men come down from Jerusalem, and, and what does Peter do? He plays the hypocrite. He's, he says, for fear of man, he, he shows himself aloof, and he's not eating with the Gentiles anymore. He's eating with the high and mighty over here. These people are filled with pomp, arrogance, they're smug. They're looking down on the Gentiles, uneducated, barbarians. Yeah, they, maybe they're saved, maybe not, but they, they look down their noses on Paul's church. And now Peter's looking down his nose. No one says anything. Even the Jews that are in the church that follow Paul start going aloof. All of a sudden, the Gentiles are like, what's going on here? Even Barnabas. That's Paul's best friend. It was Barnabas who searched out for Paul and helped him come into ministry. It was Barnabas that introduced him to the apostles in Jerusalem. Barnabas was caught up in the hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy. I mean, this is bad. This is, this is critical mass. Paul sees something that's not cute. It's not like, oh, it's just a cultural difference. For Paul, this is not a cultural difference. For Paul, this is the heart of salvation. What Peter was doing, he was elevating Jewishness again. And Jewish practices above Christ. No one saw it. No one said anything. Peter didn't realize he was dragging people back into it. Listen to what Paul says, verse 14. Paul says this. But when I saw this, I'm glad Paul was looking, amen? He was, that Peter was not straightforward with the truth of the gospel. He said to Peter, in the presence of them all, to his face, he asked this question, the New Living Translation. Peter, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, 
Why are you now, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Paul is saying, you know they don't work. They failed us all our lives. Only Christ can give new life. Only Jesus Christ can give hope. Only Jesus Christ can give peace. Only Jesus Christ can give forgiveness. And only Jesus Christ can give us the moral power over inner sin. Only Jesus Christ can give us love for one another. Only Jesus Christ can give us love for God. Only Jesus Christ can give us love for people that don't love us. Moses couldn't change your heart. Religion never changed my heart. Going to temple never changed my heart. But when I heard about Jesus' love, it changed me. So Peter, what are you doing? You're bringing people backwards. You're getting them to look at the Ten Commandments, and you're not getting them to look at the face of love. Listen to what he says in the book of Acts. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus, there's forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. The law is over. Peter preached it. Peter knew it. But Peter fell back because of fear of man. In verse 15, if we could put that up there, Paul reminds them of their common heritage. Let me see if I can get that. We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Paul reminds them that, listen, we're Jews by birth. We grew up in temple. We grew up under the covenant of Moses. We grew up with circumcision. God accepted us because we were Jews. We didn't grow up like pagan Gentiles who sinned against God openly. But yet, either neither them or us can be saved by our works anymore. Paul reminds, Paul reminds Peter of their common need as Jews. In verse 16, verse 16 says, No one is justified by works of the law. Paul reminds Peter of their common salvation. That both Jews and Gentiles are justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And Paul ends with the verse with another reminder of the law's inability to save anyone, Jew, Gentile, or others. By the works of the law, no man will be justified. And in verse 17 and 18, I'll read it. He corrects something. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So what's Paul saying here? You see, there were people that ran around in Paul's day, and they're here today, they're in the world today, and this is what it sounds like. It's a misconception. Should I continue in sin that grace may increase? This message about freeness, this message about, about this free salvation in Jesus, it sounds too good to be true. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go to temple no more. I don't have to go to... to 
Bible class no more. I don't have to go to the sacraments no more. I don't have to go to the festival no more. I don't have to be circumcised no more. I don't. I can just eat and drink and what? And then I'll go to heaven. See, that's what they thought Paul's message was. So these Judaizers came down and said, listen, Paul's got it wrong. He's misleading you. If you just believe in this, you don't try harder. God's not going to accept you. And guess what? They started believing it. Paul goes on to say, you're going to perfect in the flesh what started in the spirit. And they started adhering to this. They were contemplating. These were Gentiles. They were never circumcised before. These were men. These are men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They're contemplating getting circumcised to get right with God. Like God's concerned about cutting the foreskin off. But they made it sound so appealing. Don't miss it. They actually considered it. That's the power of deception. Paul calls it somewhere else. The doctrine of demons and seducing spirits. People will fall for the craziest teachings. And then swear by it. It's crazy. Verse 19. Paul says this. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. What he's saying is, to be be honest with everybody, this is what Paul's saying, I'll paraphrase. I'm going to be honest with everybody. The more I tried to keep the law, the more I failed. The more I tried to be good, I realized I'm not that great. The more as I try not to covet, I realize I'm a jealous human being. You know something? The more I try to keep the Lord, the more it reminds me I'm a sinner. That's what he was saying. So he says, I died to the law. Because in the law, it was pointing me to a greater law. The law said that one day Messiah is going to come and save me from this the law. This can't do it. I need a greater law. And that's the law of love, that Christ came. Now here's the problem. Here's what the Jewish self-righteous mind couldn't wrap itself around. If you truly believe in Jesus alone, then what's going to stop everybody from sinning? What's going to stop you from fornicating and lying and cheating and getting drunk and worshiping strange deities if we're not running around trying to control you? If you're telling everybody about this free salvation that all you do is need to be generally repentful and sorry for your sin and go to Christ and ask for forgiveness and you take the law of Moses away and you take all the religious code away and what's to stop a person from living like a sinner? That's what they were concerned about. That's the argument. And that's why Paul wrote his great words. I've been crucified with Christ. You know why I don't sin no more? He says this. Because it's no longer I who live. I'm a dead man. Dead men serve God. On the road to Damascus, Paul died. He died. I've been crucified with Christ. Why would I ever want to sin against God again? How can I not love all people now? He came and he died for me. How 
can I not love people? How can I not care for people? How can I not have compassion and kindness and self-control and a joy and a love? How can I not? I'm crucified with him now. I'm a dead man. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the life I live now since the day of the road to Damascus, I don't live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross was ever before Paul. For Paul, when Jesus went to the cross, he did it personally for Paul. Do you not know? Can you put yourself in there that when Jesus went to the cross, he did it personally for you? It's not like Jesus was crucified for the world. I remember when I was 30 years old, I grew up Roman Catholic. I went to Mass. I did the best I could do. I didn't believe. I had no understanding. And I really thought that God was going to accept me because I was good. But one day I heard the message. I looked up and after the preacher preached, I realized he died for Brian Martin. That's when you're saved. When Jesus is not a theory, he's not an opinion, he's not a story, but when Jesus comes real to you, when the cross comes real to you, and you can see that Jesus is the one who hang on the cross for you, that's when you're saved. Paul saying, I am now engrafted in Christ. It is by faith the power of the Holy Spirit flows through me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ by his spirit lives in me. I'm joined with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, Our bodies are one with Christ. Do not lay with a prostitute. How can I live in sexual sin? My body is a temple of Almighty God. I flee from it. I run from it. I confess it. I pray over it. The last thing a Christian wants to do is to fall into sexual sin. We don't fall into sexual sin because the Bible says don't do it. It's because we're joined with Christ. I don't run around telling the young men, what did you do last night? Oh, you know, did you keep yourself pure? I don't have to. That's not my job. I teach them Christ. And Christ in them. Teaches them and instructs them how to live. Paul saying, I'm dead to sin. I'm baptized into his life and, and now I walk in newness of life. Something has happened to me. I met him on the road to Damascus. I was blind for three days and I fasted. And, and then he laid hands on me. I was filled with the spirit and the scales fell off. And, and now I know he is the son of God. Do you know that religious people can't figure out Christians? They can't figure us out. We get together in very informal churches like this. We come casual. Sometimes I got flip-flops on. I don't even use the Bible most of the time. I'm reading out of an iPad. I mean, how unorthodox is this? But yet, we're the ones happy in Jesus. We're the ones who want to live for God. I don't want to sin against the Lord. I love the Lord. As a matter of fact, I want to tell everybody about how good Jesus is. You know why? 
because we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer we who live but it's Christ who lives in us we're dead men and women we died with Christ that's how you get someone to stop sinning not by giving them laws and rules and regulations and threats well you know if you keep on doing this God's going to get you I've heard that. He's got to get you. He's, he's watching everything. He can't wait to get you. When you have died with Christ, are you with me? You ready? Sin is never the same. It hurts. It hurts. Before I became a Christian, sin gave me a guilty conscience at best. Listen to me. At best, my sinful behavior made me a little guilty. But guess what? Nothing a couple of drinks could have given me. Smoke a little pot, a couple of beers. Three days later, I'm a new man. But when you start to love Jesus, when the music gets into your skin, when the word of God gets real, and you feel the sense of the love of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you go fall into sin, it hurts. And it brings us to genuine repentance, not penance. I'm not trying to pay for it. Christ paid for it. It's repentance. It's a genuine brokenness on the inside as a son who has disobeyed a loving father. Not about guilt. That's what happened to Paul when he met Christ that day on the road to Damascus. On that day, Saul, the persecutor, died, and Paul the apostle was raised up. You can rest assured that the lesson he's given us here takes a Christian a while. You know, many times a young Christian will say, you know, but I know that's the truth, but I'm just not there yet. Guess what? Praise God. God will get you there. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I'm not going to tell you here's the Ten Commandments. You know, double up your efforts to get saved. Double up your religious life. Don't pray two hours a day. Pray four hours a day. Go crawl on your knees somewhere. No, 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 no. Just go to God and say, Jesus, I messed up again. Forgive me and change me. That's what happens. And slowly but surely, a young believer sees his sin after the fact. Are you with me? That's a young believer. A young Christian sees it and says, oh God, why did I do that? Oh God, why did I say that? Oh God, forgive me. A maturing believer is in the middle of it and saying, oh, this is terrible. I'm blowing it again. I shouldn't be in this place. The mature believer sees it come and says, been there, done that, it hurts too much, I don't want to shame Christ, I don't want to feel it, I'm, I'm dead to that now, I'm alive with Christ. See, there is a progression. Amen? There's a progression. Now, don't miss this point. Paul knew this process of sanctification. The Judaizers, when they came down to the Gentile church, they didn't like what they see. You know why? Because they were probably still a mess. But they were loving one another. 
Maybe they didn't have their act together totally yet, but Paul knew if they stayed just believing and trusting in Jesus, guess what? They were going to change. Just like the church in Antioch did. He watched the slow progression. Just like I've watched in here. Just like I watched my own life. My first three years is not the same as today. It's painful those first three, four, five years as being a young Christian. You think you can do it? You don't have to. You, don't, you haven't learned how to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit yet. You haven't learned wisdom yet. But you will. I'm not going to tell you to be circumcised because you're not doing You know, dress yourself up. You know, all of a sudden you put a new dress on, a new suit on, and all of a sudden God, God accepts you. You've got to be kidding me. But your heart is cursing people and, and, you're, and you're, you're criticizing people and, and you're gossiping about people. But look at my new suit, how, how good I look at church, you know what I mean? And I got my Bible in my hand, but my heart is wretched. But here, they looked wretched, but their hearts were right with God. Let me do some application and then get out of here. We cannot, we cannot miss the power of hypocrisy. Peter, Paul didn't tell Peter, you know, you're missing it here, brother. Paul said in front of everybody, he shamed him in front of everybody. He called him out on a rug and said, you're a hypocrite. But he also says, I know you know the gospel, and I know you believe in the gospel because you preach it and teach it and you're saved by it. But you're getting caught up in hypocrisy. So much so that all the other Jews are following you, even Barnabas is following you. Be careful of hypocrisy. We all need to be careful of it. It's never isolated. And most of the time, hypocrisy is a learned behavior. It's like prejudice. It's a learned behavior. Our text says that until certain men came down from James... Jesus teaches us something, and so does Paul, that a little leaven spoils the whole lump. It's all it takes. It just takes a couple of bad apples. But we got to be like Paul. we got to be able to spot hypocrisy and with love call it out right away. There are some things in Christianity that are worth fighting for. And when it comes to salvation and the souls of men... Don't let people's souls rest on thinking they can work to heaven. It's hypocrisy. Only men's souls can be saved by resting on the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, but when I saw that he was not in line with the gospel. Even when a leader is not right with the gospel, you got to call them out. Just because I'm here and you say, well, it's pastor. And understand something. If I'm not right with Jesus, you have every right to call me out. If someone's not right with it, call them out. Ask them why they're teaching something that's false. And if they don't give you a straight answer with dignity and integrity 
and charity run for your life. We don't see Peter getting defensive. You know why? He knew he was wrong. And I'll close with this. Paul put his relationship on the line with Peter. He didn't say, hmm, if I tell Peter he's a hypocrite, I might lose him as a friend. Hmm, can't do that. Or if I tell my mother, if I tell my father, if I tell my brother, if I tell my sister, if I tell my friend, that they're missing it over here. Oh, I'm stuck. What do I do? Do I lose a friend or do I protect the gospel? Paul chose to protect the truth at the expense of possibly losing a friend. And I won't go any further. Second Peter teaches us clearly that Peter embraced Paul. And that Peter embraced the correction. Father, we thank you for the great road to Damascus. We thank you, Father God, that the gospel's free and full in Jesus Christ, Father God. I thank you that you're not finished with us. You're not finished with Peter. I thank you so very much that after 20 years of being an apostle, after 20 years of preaching, after 20 years of being used by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Peter fell into hypocrisy and you loved him so much you drew him back. Thank you for not giving up on Peter. Thank you for not giving up on us, Father God. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for all the Pauls throughout century who have stood the test of time and they fought for what is right. And that's the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That a man is only accepted by God the Father through Jesus the Son. So God, continue to bless us and watch over us, God. And I pray with all my heart today starting with me and Pastor John and our wives and Patty and the leaders of the church and the rest of this church, Father God, that we can truly cry out, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, the prideful, arrogant, independent, self-sufficient Brian Martin, but it's Christ the Savior who liveth in me. In Jesus' name.